So the, the theme I want to this morning is have yourself a miraculous Christmas. You know that song, have yourself, what is it, have yourself a, is it Merry Little Christmas? Well, we're nicking that tune and we're going to call it have yourself a miraculous Christmas. And uh, I want to read a familiar Bible passage from Matthew chapter one, one of our favorite Christmas readings. We're not going to get a lot of opportunity, the way that Christmas is falling this year, to delve too deeply into the Christmas story. But we, I do want to take the opportunity today to do that. So let me read these verses from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. I want to focus a little bit this morning on what I believe are four specific miraculous occurrences uh, in this overall miracle story of the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. And we can define a miracle by, by this. I think we've got it on the screen, hopefully, if this is, here we go, a miracle. Occurring through supernatural or divine intervention, a highly improbable or unlikely event bringing much happiness and welcome consequences. It's quite a good definition, isn't it? And the first of these Christmas miracles uh, is foundational to our faith. It's that Mary becomes pregnant as a virgin, the virgin birth. And we're living in an age where even some Christians, even some Christian leaders are disputing the miraculous birth of Jesus uh, as a virgin birth. And in one way, you can understand it. It defies common sense. It doesn't make logical sense when you first think about it. But most miracles don't. Jesus coming like a sinful man. That's important. The Bible tells us about that. It doesn't say Jesus comes as a sinful man. It says he comes like a sinful man. The virgin birth is vital because although Mary carries the baby Jesus, his blood was the precious blood, perfect and sinless. We've already gathered around that. Only the perfect, precious blood of Jesus could be shed to save us from our sin. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so if Jesus was to be born purely of, of human form, then his blood would not be that saving blood that was required. Mary, although blessed and although special, although chosen, was a sinner, was an imperfect woman. 
she calls Jesus her saviour, actually, later on. So if that's the case, she knows that she needs to be saved. Phil and Linda are great people, are great leaders, but they're not perfect people. We're not sending them off to New Zealand as, as perfection. We're sending them off as sinners saved by grace, new creations living a new life through the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus. During the normal course of a pregnancy, I'm told, I'm on risky ground here talking about pregnancy with so many women in the room, but I'm going to give it a go. During the normal course of a pregnancy, the mother and baby's blood doesn't mix or circulate together. And so this virgin birth, I'm looking at the doctor for some... For some he doesn't know. He's not, he's not, he's not a... Um, whatever the term is, he's not one of those... <laughs> And in this virgin birth, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, again from the book of Isaiah, Jesus fulfilled around about 350 Old Testament prophecies just in his birth. And that, that, that promise of a virgin birth. And so we must still hold on in tech-savvy, complicated, cynical 2022 and beyond we still hold on to some of those biblical fundamentals like the virgin birth of Jesus. Fully man, fully God will come onto that. So that's that first, that first miracle for you. That Mary becomes pregnant as a virgin. And we know all the confusion that, that, can, that, that has for her family and all the challenges of that. But we also know that when God is involved... Even the most complicated things become possible and you can get through them if God's hand is on it. And the second one, the second miracle, is that an angel appears to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. Even the greatest scientists can't explain angels in Hebrews, we read that angels are kind and messengers of God. But also in Scripture, we read that they are awesome warriors. And in most of the New Testament nativity scenes, the angels have to say the words, do not be afraid. Why? Because they are fearful and mighty creatures of God. I have to regularly encourage human beings not to be afraid. Remember when the angels uh, appear to the shepherds in another of those Christmas scenes? They announce good news of great joy. And it says, a great company of the heavenly host. The word host can be a military term to refer to a group of soldiers. So it's like a military choir of angels singing the praises of the newborn king. These angels are veterans of spiritual warfare in the heavenly realm. And they are interrupting the world to announce the newborn king's arrival, proclaimed by heavenly warriors much later, towards the end of his life, where Jesus is before Pilate, 
Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. In other words, he's saying, I could command the heavenly angels to come down and rescue me, but that's not part of God's plan. I'm not going to do that. When he's arrested in the garden, he says, do you not think I could call on legions of angels? When the angels bring the good news of the birth of Jesus in the Christmas story, the Greek word there for good news is the same word that is used by the Roman Empire to announce the, the birthday of Caesar. So every year the Roman, Empire, the Roman Empire would say, we have great news, we have good news, it's Caesar's birthday. They thought he was the most important person in the world, the most significant leader, the greatest leader the world had ever seen. It's no accident that the angels use the same word to announce the coming of Jesus. They're saying, hey, Holy Roman Empire, or it wasn't the Holy Roman Empire, then was it Roman Empire, you think, you think that your King Caesar is the greatest ruler this world has ever, ever had. We're coming from heaven to tell you to think again. Because a new king is in town and his name is Jesus. And that's the biggest, best, greatest news that the world has ever seen. And then they're announcing that king. Here's a little tip for you. When you read your Bible this Christmas, whenever you read the word Jesus or Jesus Christ, why don't you put king in there, King Jesus? And it gives you that just that freshness of who Jesus has come to be and the place that he wants to play in your life. We're all getting used to a new king. What will Charles be, be like? What will his tone be? What will he be known for? Well, Christmas reminds us again to get to know on a new and a fresh level the king of kings, Jesus himself. And so the angels... They're involved because the gospel writers want to say to us, hey, this is a divine intervention. This is a miracle. This is God's warfare plan to bring peace on earth. And whenever we step into following Jesus, we're stepping into that battle of good against evil. We've signed up on the side of good, whether we realized it or not. There's a story told of a missionary in the New Hebrides Island called John Payton, and one night hostile natives surrounded his mission station. Phil and Linda, I hope I'm not predicting anything that's going to happen to you. But these hostile natives surrounded the mission station with an intent to kill John Payton and his family. And he and his wife kneeled down and prayed that God delivered, would deliver them. And they spent all of their night on their knees praying to ask God to intervene. When daylight, daylight came, they looked out and the surrounding attackers had disappeared completely. Years later, the chief of that tribe was converted to Jesus. And when he met the Patons, they remembered that incident together. And he asked the chief, John Payton asked the chief, what had stopped you that night from burning our house down, from coming in 
and savagely killing us, as was your plan. And the chief replied in surprise, when we saw all those large men with you, surrounding your house, protecting you, we knew we could not get through. Hundreds of big men, he saw, in shining garments with drawn swords, marching around the mission station. Isn't that incredible? John Payton and his wife never actually saw them because they were on their knees praying. But God's angels had intervened and answered their prayers and had defended God's people. So that angelic visitation, that's miracle number two. Miracle number three, the baby Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Those familiar words, we've got them around somewhere over, over there on that slide there, on that stand there. The virgin will conceive, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas reminds us that God really did take human form and become one of us. He really is here with us. He is for us and not against us. The promised king, the promised divine king coming to rescue and to rule. The Messiah, the saviour, the word made flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. That's the basic statement of the incarnation, that God doesn't stay distant. God comes and lives among us. The word there literally means like pitching his tent. God came and tabernacled amongst us. God came and pitched his tent right in the middle of us. And that incarnational purpose is fully realized, not just in the Christmas story, but in the Easter story that we've already reminded ourselves of this morning. Fully God, fully man. That's difficult to get our heads around. It's not half and half. It's not most of one with a little bit of the other. God, fully man, fully God. Jesus, not the word became flesh, but remained the word. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, God has promised that he will dwell in the presence of his people. He gives the Israelites a tabernacle. I will dwell amongst them. In Revelation, we hear the words, Now the dwelling of God is with mankind, and he will live with them. And that promise of the Christmas birth reminds us that God is with us. I quite often describe the, the, the incarnation like this, fully man, fully God, how do you understand it? Well, let's, let's simplify it. You know the story of Popeye. Popeye the sailor man. What did, what, what did he eat to become strong? Spinach. Normal sailor with, a, with some tattoos, eats a spinach. Suddenly he's, he's busting out with all over. So it's not like Jesus is a normal man who takes some heavenly spinach now and again and becomes God for a while. That that's, doesn't explain it. Let's do another an analogy. We know Superman. Superman with his Superman costume on. What's his normal name when he's just a regular guy? Clark Kent. 
So Superman is super. He's got this superhuman power, but he disguises himself as a normal human being by putting some glasses on, putting a suit and tie on, and nobody recognises him. I've always struggled with that. How does that, how does that work? So Jesus isn't like this Superman from heaven who just puts on some clothes of the time to disguise himself. Neither of those pictures work for Jesus because he is fully man and fully God. And that's the significance of that statement, God with us, the incarnation. That God was willing to make himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Astonishing. And one of the one of the most powerful things we can take from the Christmas story is that God is with us. Found in appearance as a man, Jesus came fully man, fully God. It's actually the same word in when we talk about Jesus being found in appearance as a man. It is the same word to use about a king who exchanges his kingly robes and dresses for a period as a beggar. So there is that idea of Jesus coming in human form, but he's still a king, even though he might have disguised himself. So that's miracle number three. Miracle number four, Jesus is the saviour. Jesus is our saviour. When the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself, it means the word there means he will do anything needed to get the job done. And Mary is giving birth to a son. She will give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. In some of the Old Testament prophetic words about Jesus, particularly in Isaiah, Jesus is talked about as our righteousness. And it's because of Jesus that we can stand righteous before God. It's not actually our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus in us. And Christmas reminds us that God has sent his son so that the world can be saved, so that you and I can be saved, so that whole communities and nations and towns have the potential to be saved by Jesus, the saviour. I'm sure you've heard those words spoken. If I can find them somewhere, I might not have them here. I'm going to leave that for another time. But Jesus came to do the Father's will. Jesus came to witness to the truth. Jesus came to bring light to the darkness. Jesus came to bring true judgment. Jesus came to bring abundant life. The great theologian and leader Martin Luther said this, that the life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. What does he mean by that? It's one thing to say Christ is a saviour. It's quite another thing to say Christ is my saviour and my Lord. The devil can say the first, but only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus can say the second. 
I was at a Christmas social event last night and I was talking to a man across the table and he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. So the guy said, oh, so tomorrow is the only day of the week that you'll be busy. And I said, yes, that's right. You know, get, get all the jokes out. I said, well, I, I said, what about you? He said, I'm Jewish. I said, oh, are you a practicing Jew? Do you go to the synagogue? He said, no, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, interesting. And like many Jews, looking back on the history of how Jews were treated and persecuted, he came to the conclusion that there was, there is no God. And I had an interesting conversation with him, but a very sad conversation with him. But it led me to think of a story that I'd heard earlier in this week, and I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this, and then we'll, we'll sing together. But a testimony of uh, a Jew living in Israel uh, called Yechiel, or Chalik for short. He was a man who came to faith in uh, a congregation in Tel Aviv, a couple of years ago, and I just heard his testimony this week, and I'll, I'll finish with this, just to remind you that Jesus is saviour and what he's doing in the world today. After a very troubled upbringing, this man uh, began using hardcore drugs. He'd fell out of favour with his family. He'd had a lot of loss and abuse in his life. And, and to numb the pain in his 20s, he just medicated with drugs. And if you go to, to Tel Aviv, you will see many, many drug users and abusers on the streets of Tel Aviv. It's one of the paradoxes of life in Israel right now is that one of the holiest cities in the world, Jerusalem, within striking distance of Tel Aviv, one of the most hedonistic cities in the world. But this man in his 20s decided... I'm going to either fight for my life or I'm going to end it all right now. And he came very close to committing suicide, but he didn't. He got free from drugs and then he wanted to find what he called the truth. He studied with rabbis at a yeshiva, which is a religious school. That didn't lead him anywhere. He dived headlong into Buddhism and New Age, but nothing satisfied that deep yearning he had to find an answer to life's big questions. And he felt in his journey that God had two love languages. Interesting. Love and light. And he was in a search for love in his life. He was a search, in a search for light at the end of the tunnel, as it were. And then he was standing at a bus stop in 2020, and a woman called Adriana from the Tiferet Yeshua congregation in Tel Aviv stood next to him and started witnessing to him. He was very angry at her. She, she did what lots of Christians are doing, lots of followers of Jesus in Israel are doing now. They're reminding Jewish people that Isaiah 53 is a perfect picture of Jesus, the suffering servant, the Messiah. And many, many Jewish religious books and many Jewish Bibles now go from Isaiah 52 to Isaiah 54 because they are so worried of the power of Isaiah 53. And so followers of Jesus are quite often putting leaflets and tracks together with, this, with Isaiah 53 on them. She gives him, Adriana gives Shikil this, this booklet with Isaiah 53 in. He stuffs it in his pocket, very angry. They get on the bus, they don't talk. But when he gets home, he begins to think, because what, Adriana doesn't know is this is the fourth time that somebody has 
put Isaiah 53 in front of him. And even though he's very angry about this, he knows deep down that God is speaking to him. So he goes home and asks God, if this is you, if this picture in Isaiah 53 is really Yeshua, is really the Messiah, then please show me. He said, at that moment, something amazing happened. And deep in his spirit, he felt he had found the answer to that love that he was looking for. That for the first time in his life, he saw that light at the end of the tunnel. It transpired, even though they didn't know that at the bus stop, that Adriana and he both worked in the same special education department. And a couple of days later, he walks in and he sees her there. And he says, what are you doing here? And she says, well, what are you doing here? And they're working together. She connects him with a couple of men from their congregation. And his words, in his words, as they read together the New Testament, he discovers even more, that the love and the light that he'd received was through Jesus and that this was the miracle that God wanted to do in his life. He says, in my darkest times, my family couldn't help. Other religions couldn't help. Drugs couldn't help. Judaism couldn't help. Only Jesus, only Yeshua. Jesus taught me forgiveness, taught me love, taught me to touch the darkest areas of my life with his light. And he says, I'm now reconnected with my family and I'm part of the Tephra Yeshua family. Jesus gives us hope. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we pray that this Christmas we might not miss a miracle. We thank you that you acted supernaturally and miraculously through that virgin birth, through that encounter with the angels, through that promise of God with us that we have received a saviour. Perhaps you're like that man Chalik right now, you've tried everything and you haven't received that love and that light that you need, why don't you reach out now and say, Jesus, would you be my king? Would you be my saviour? You need to say those words, just say them quietly under your breath, say them in your heart, but to say them to Jesus right now. And so, Father, we pray that this Christmas time, that we would receive again your forgiveness, your new life, that the light of God might shine in us and from us, that your love and your care might be manifest to us through Jesus. Thank you for the miracle that you have done in our lives. This Christmas, we want to see that miracle of salvation happen in the lives of others as well. So we surrender to you our Christmas program. Pray that you would use it to do something miraculous. We thank you that the God who miraculously acted 2,000 years ago in the sending of his son is the same God who acts miraculously today. And we're putting our faith and our trust 
in you. Lord, we don't want to miss the miracle that you want to do this Christmas. We ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <laughs>